Okay, welcome to the Hacker Lounge. Yeah. Hacker Lounge. Woo. Episode one. Episode My name's Yash. My name's Bram. <laughs> and we are, what are we doing, Bram? What is the Hacker Lounge? Well, this is meant for us to talk about technology in a really chill way. We really want to get people involved on this podcast to kind of show the lighter side of technology and give people a chance to reflect on the current state of the tech ecosystem without being necessarily overwhelmed by the details. What do you think, Yash? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good description. It's kind of like, you know, just come, come by to our lounge and just chill for a little bit. Tell us about what you're working on, talk about life, and we'll have a good time for like 40 minutes or an hour. We plan on having guests in the future, but for the first episode, it's just going to be us two, and we're just going to chill and talk about life. Also, as a way to test out like all of our podcasting gear, which we have a lot of actually super fancy stuff right here. Super fancy stuff that we're going on right now. We're, we're leveraging 2020s technologies. <laughs> yeah, it's just a Zoom call. <laughs> Maybe okay. you should just start by introducing yourself. Oh, wow. That's a really good idea. I can't believe we didn't think about that. So, hello, I'm Bram, uh, aforementioned at the beginning of the podcast. Yes. Uh, I am a creative technologist at a company called Other Side AI, um, which mainly includes me doing a lot of uh, feature creating. I'm also the first employee, so there's a lot of coding, but there's also a lot of startup stuff where it's just like one day you're putting out a fire, one day you're creating a new fire that's going to have to be put out later. You know what I mean? So that's that's a part of the, the, the startup lifestyle. Um, outside of work, um, I'm an OpenAI community ambassador with Yash, actually. And uh, what that kind of entails is that we, we kind of help uh, the GPT-3 community um, run smoothly and kind of try and serve as a liaison between the developers and OpenAI. And then outside of that, outside of that, <laughs> I do a lot of creative tech demos. So a lot of my stuff, I try to make surreal. I've, I've always kind of, um, and by always, I mean in the past couple of years, gone by the mantra of move culture through code or finding the overlap of art and code um, to me, it's the, the power of the infinite scalability of code applied to the creativity of the human brain can really allow you to accomplish almost anything. So that's, a, that's pretty much me. I am Yash, as I mentioned. I'm currently a software engineering student at the University of Waterloo. I just finished like the first half of my second year. Um, I'm going to be starting an internship at ShareWorks by Morgan Stanley in like two or three weeks. Uh, and then apart from that, I'm also an OpenAI community ambassador. Um, in my free time, I really just like messing around with code. My favorite thing in the world to do is to make something, whether that is software or music, and just be able to give it to my friends and make sure that they have a good time. And everything that I do um, like for fun that's kind of in that sort of like creative realm is just about trying to make cool things that I think my friends or family would think are really cool. And so I'm really excited to do this podcast because I, I think by definition, like in the hacker community, that's what we all try to do is like we try to create things that we think are cool and inspiring and make us want to continue coming up with new ideas and pushing the boundaries. And I'm really excited to meet a lot of new people through this podcast who kind of are doing the same thing in their own unique, interesting ways. Um, some ways that I'm personally thinking of working on that are in 2021, I plan on just making as many projects as I physically can and just having a good time being really creative without having to worry about like starting a startup or like raising money or whatever, just like put as much stuff into the world out there as I possibly can and just see what happens. 
let's dig into that. I think that the process of making is something that a lot of hackers and engineers and developers or whatever people feel comfortable calling themselves technologists uh, get into the field for. You know, they always want to create something. And I want to hear a little bit more about your idea of what creation means. Is it something like just a finished product that other people can use? Is it more of like a piece of art? Is it something completely different than that? What do you what do you define as creation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I can maybe start off by giving context as to like why I even started programming. So um, I started programming when I was in my junior year of high school. So like two, two or three years ago, I was so confident that I wanted to be a research scientist when I was older. I was like, I'm gonna get my PhD and then I'm gonna do write like a bunch of papers. And then that's gonna be my way to sort of make a contribution to the world. Um, where that kind of changed was like, I saw this uh, paper that's, uh, or I saw these competitors in the Intel Science Fair who were making this machine learning project. Um, and, I, and I forget what it was, but it was something to do with like medicine. And I saw that like, it was just these kids in their room with like a laptop and they were able to make something that was actually like profound and really useful. And I was like, okay, well maybe I don't have to like spend 10 years getting a PhD or whatever. And I could just do something. So I built this machine learning model, which I look back at the code now and I think it's really cringy because it was like my first ever project. But basically what it did was it helped diagnose skin cancer and then later malaria with like relatively high degrees of accuracy compared that are like is comparable to some other techniques that we currently use. And then I was able to give that to PhD students uh, who are here locally in Toronto and they were able to use that work to contribute to their own research and to eventually publish some sort of paper. And then I realized like, hey, I keep on telling myself, oh, I just have to keep studying. And then one day I'll be able to make something of use. But if I just like learn to code and do all of this, I can just do all of this right now. And so the way I kind of define it is a measure of being usefulness. And I think everything inherently has some form of usefulness. Um, you know, whether you are making art, like if someone enjoys it, that's inherently something that's useful. Whether you're making something medis medically related that people will be able to use to save lives, I think that's also useful. And I think... For me, it's not a measure of like, whether it's art, whether it's a product or whatever, it's just a measure of usefulness, even if it, that's just enjoyment. I don't know how you feel about that though. Honestly, that's great. That's an amazing first project. I think my first project was like, even something like it was tic-tac-toe in the, in the <laughs> terminal. So to hear you say that you made a machine learning model to diagnose skin cancer as your first project kind of kind of makes me feel a little, little bit like, oh, maybe I was, I did not. <laughs> no, <laughs> so dude, it was painful. I, if someone asked me to, I would not recommend anyone do that as a first project. It took me way longer than it should have. And it was just, yeah, like I had no idea what I was doing, basically. Great way to learn to code though, through the fire and kind of like building something that you want to be able to give to people in production. And I really yeah. think that, that that is a great answer to that question because it really kind of delves into your psychology of, of, of utility and kind of providing that value to other human beings. For me, I came across the idea of like coding and programming because I needed an, a creative outlet. I think before school started my college career, uh, which was a number of years ago now, uh, I didn't really have a creative outlet. I, I was doing musicals and stuff like that, but I wasn't necessarily the best singer. I was doing, you know, band, but I wasn't the best drummer. I was doing, you know, uh, sports, but I wasn't the best athlete. And I just really didn't feel like I had 
much kind of contribution to offer in terms of just like making something with my hands. And I, I was terrible at woodworking and stuff like that. I get very kind of like antsy and nervous and my hands shake when I'm like around like power tools and stuff, which is obviously a bad look because if you cut your hand off. <laughs> um, so when I, when, I, when I got to college, I was also at a similar kind of situation that you were, Yash, where I was at a fair and uh, this was back in 2012 and the Makey Makey had just come out that year. Do you, do you know what the Makey Makey yeah, is? Yeah, you know I used that when I was in like middle school. Yeah, dude. So yeah, <laughs> you're dating me here. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that, that, that came out, I think that year or the year before. And I was uh, walking around my like freshman kind of like fair thing. And uh, I saw that and I was playing like my, one of my like uh, hallmates was playing Super Mario on some bananas. And I was like, that's insane. That's like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. The fact that you can leverage something real like fruit and put an electrical signal through it and like bring it into the digital world and have like experience in the physical world. And the kind of overlap between the two really kind of excited me. And then I found out that I was like pretty good at coding. I was able to kind of get my head around the concepts of coding relatively easily compared to the things that I mentioned of sports and, and acting and and musicals and stuff at, at least um, in relative terms. So I guess broadly for me, the power to create with code is so, it feels so integral to the 21st century as like you were saying, like the fact that you can take a laptop and take your idea and it feels a little bit like magic sometimes, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggling and strife along the way, which I think scares a lot of people away from the idea of being programmers or, or developers or engineers. But for those who are able to stick it through and really kind of become a project manager in their own head and become a software engineer in their own head and become a, uh, a front end developer and a back end developer, the, 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 the options are almost limitless and they're becoming less digital and more physical as we've seen with 3D printing and artificial intelligence and augmented reality, these things are starting to come into our real lives. So it's a very useful skill to not only make stuff that'll exist on the internet, but make stuff that will exist in the real world. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really great point. And something that I think about a lot is like, when you sort of look at future trends in technology, it's all about getting kids with their laptops in the rooms to be able to do more and more with just that and like an internet connection. Kind of speaking about what I was talking about, about, um, you know, sort of what things look like in the future for tech. Where do you think we're at in 2020? And where do you think we're going in terms of kind of like our, the hacker culture or the hacker community? That's a really good question. And I've probably put too much thought into this thing, particularly <laughs> as a creative coder myself. And it's because it's, it's because I'm biased. You know what I mean? I've used this tool uh, this paradigm of coding for so long and see the, the things that you can create with it are really just kind of unlike any other form of creation that I've found um, in terms of like flexibility, as we were mentioning, you know, using a laptop to give something to PhD students that'll actually make detecting skin cancer an easier process. Um, so I just think that that type of ease and leverage and impact of these programs is just going to continue to rise because they all compound off of each other. Um, the, you know, no JS birth next JS, which is going to birth the next thing after that, you know, and Python two birth Python three, which birth, you know, pandas and cattle and all these other things. And, and, and I think that 
we're kind of at, you know, everybody wants life to be at an inflection point when they're alive and they're doing their thing. They're like, this is, this is the turning point in human history. There's, all, there's a lot of turning points in human history, but I think that this specific turning point is one that really will, rewards people for being creative and leveraging scale because they can now access everybody as easily like, you know, Yash, you know, and I are in different countries in order to having a real-time conversation. You yeah, know what I mean? So we've never even met in person. We've never even met in person. And I think that that's, you know, kind of sums up 2020 in a nutshell for me <laughs> is making relationships with people you haven't met through technology. Um, and I think that we're going to hopefully get to a point as a creative technologist where people start to see the artistic value of coding because there has been, there's been a demo scene culture for a while in the creative coding community but it's very kind of obtuse to get into. And you need to already be really well-read on what's happening with coding and see to be even able to, to participate. Um, and I think that there's like a, there's a big gap there where I hope that people will start to see coding or artists will start to see coding as a tool to still help them influence their audience and get the messages across they're trying to get across without necessarily getting mired down in the details of right. the code as well. So I think that that's where I hope things are heading. And given our experience with OpenAI, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, I think that that's something that we've seen a lot of this year is that there's a new kind of metaprogramming paradigm with GPC-3 that allows people to create, but not necessarily need to know the fine details of like kind of implementations of neural nets or you know, complicated stuff like systems programming or, yeah. or how 5G works or something like that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of libraries that are taking away that boilerplate and allowing people to really kind of be creative with the tools at hand. So to answer the question long and short, I think that 2020 was in a lot of ways due to the pandemic, the birth of a lot of different um, technology paradigms, obviously the remote work one being the number one, but implicitly in the background, is all of these new creators being enabled to create stuff that can reach more of the world quicker because now the world is more um, accepting and leaning into the idea of having technology impact them on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, an observation I kind of made is like the sort of art tech community or as in like people who are like writing code explicitly to make art, I find is like a really innovative space uh, especially in comparison to kind of like the startup scene. Like it feels like people are coming up with these really weird abstract ideas all the time. And like working with OpenAI has kind of opened my eyes to that a lot. And I'm curious to see, you know, as that like gains more popularity over time and as more and more people get involved in that, where that kind of goes. Because as you mentioned right now, it's like a small community of people who are all making a lot of things that you need a lot of previous context for in order to fully grasp what's going on. And I think um, eventually that'll change and eventually it'll become like a larger community. And I'm pretty excited to see that as well. I think also for 2020, something that's been pretty important has been the rise of like, it's almost become like a buzzword at this point of, but like community, you know, like there's a lot of community related startups and people have just been, all the, all the cool thought leader people are talking about community a lot. Um, and I, and I, I think, you know, like that's something that kind of goes beyond that sort of buzzword in the sense that um, especially internet communities, because anyone can join, they're a lot, they're really, really powerful in getting people with similar interests to like work on something together. And like, this is such a great example of that. And I think as we see more and more things like that, we'll see smaller and smaller, more niche communities that will in themselves create 
like a lot more interesting products or just a lot more interesting art or just a lot of more interesting things that are useful that wouldn't have existed before without these people. So, to follow up on that, you know, the community thing is so prescient because it's really interesting because, you know, in the web 1.0 days, uh, there was a bunch of niche communities, you know what I mean? Websites were go to this very specific thing, that URL, and you needed to know where to find it and you needed to know a guy who knew a guy, right? And then everything kind of got consolidated down into like the big social media platforms and communities really started to like play on there, um, but just kind of like making their own pages or groups or, or just like, just follow my account, build, you know, my brand. And I think that because of the evolution of where technology has gone with this past year, we're starting to see what you were saying, where things are like starting to decentralize again, but with the, the, the power that social media provided in the sense that like, you don't need to worry about your, your tech stack anymore. You know what I mean? You can just host it on like circle or you can just, you know, uh, uh, build a community brand a lot easier than you would eight years ago when everybody was trying to like leverage these tools, like, like Facebook, because they just, it was just way too hard to build and host your own website and do a bunch of other things um, to make that kind of thing happen. So I think that, you know, again, with, with these tools that we have, like Netlify and stuff like that, I think they are kind of inspiring communities. I actually literally earlier today was watching, um, do you know VR chat? Are you familiar? Yeah, the game, right? Yeah, someone was doing a TED talk in VR chat. And there was just like a bunch of like, unicorns and spongebobs and like anime characters like sitting in the audience just like chilling like it was like a real ted talk you know what i mean and the like it was by ted said, no 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 i mean it was no it was like a ted talk it, it was unofficial i see i see, I see <laughs> yeah. not, maybe one day though i don't i don't know why they wouldn't get it on that vertical now that i've seen this happen i'm like this is an obvious ted use case they just need to slap a logo on it yeah um and uh it was so cool because like, you know, there was different cameras set up in the VR um, world. So they would just jump between camera A and camera B and there was a little timer in front of her and she had like a slideshow thing going on in the background. And then like these anime characters would like walk up and like ask questions and stuff like that about like what, you know, that, what this person thinks of VR and stuff like that. And, and it's interesting because like, you know, when I think of community, I think of like really early human communities, you know what I mean? Like when you go out into like the, the rainforest today, and you find these kind of like untouched by quote unquote greater civilization communities, you see kind of the way that they function mentally is different than the way that we see the world, you know, because of the influences of people who we've never met and products that we buy all the time and stuff like that. We have this kind of different kind of viewpoint of the world, but I think sometimes that it's, 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 you know, I think it's all relative. So there's not necessarily skewed from one or the other, but we have kind of, I think in a lot of ways, um, lost that sense of individualism because we're kind of overwhelmed by the major kind of communities of the 2010s. And I think one of the things that these, the 2020s will bring is like you were saying, these smaller niche communities where people are allowed to feel more individual when they're allowed to be around other people who think like them and talk like them and are into the same like stuff that they are. And that'll really give them the flexibility and comfort to feel at ease in their own skin and not feel like they're competing in this infinite game of getting you know, likes on, on a social media. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. And I, and I also think that smaller communities are more powerful now. Like Among Us, I think, like the game Among Us, I think had half a billion users last month. 
And that was made by three people. And it's the most monthly users a video game has ever had. And it was just a team of three people. And you see similar things with music, like when you went from like really large studios with large production teams to like just a guy with his laptop or the same thing with entertainment. And I think that's something that's even more exciting is that there's not really a formula anymore for a lot of these things. Like for music or for television, you know, you try to get like a big TV network to sign off on your show and then you kind of follow their steps and then you're good to go. Uh, for music, it was kind of similar. That doesn't exist in entertainment anymore and it doesn't really exist in tech anymore. Like I, I think, I feel like the traditional roots for startups has always just been raise a lot of money, like build a compelling product and to just try to get it to work at scale. And you don't even necessarily have to do things in that method anymore. You can just like launch something on product hunt and then see where it goes from there. You can bootstrap your own business. And while those things were kind of common before, there was this like Silicon Valley, like mythos about how startups or products needed to be created. Like it's the college dropout who like finds a really cool product and then raises a lot of money. And a lot, I'm really excited to see that a lot of those formulas are kind of dying out because it means that we can have a lot more differing perspectives on what products can be. And the more of those they are, the better it is for everyone because the best ones win, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting point that you brought up about this idea of the formula of the kind of uh, tech kind of success story or entertainment success story kind of being replaced. And it's interesting because I think that cultures always replace themselves. You know, I mean, we're obviously not living in Rome. <laughs> and even though Rome was the dominant culture when Rome was around, and uh, you know the same thing can be said about any other any other uh, uh, kind of government slash economy slash country that was kind of quote unquote in charge of the culture at the period it was alive. But I think that the the, the interesting part about the cultural shift that we're currently involved in is that it's much more decentralized. It's much more um, it's like localized, but on a global scale, which is really interesting because you're right. It doesn't, you, your product doesn't need to be this major thing. It can just be something that affects a thousand people very deeply. And obviously this has kind of been circulating around the internet for a while, but when you really meditate on the idea of kind of like how many people do you need to have a deep impact on, or even like a, a shallow impact on, you know, one thing that I've done in the past was I made Instagram filters. And uh, one thing that I learned from Instagram filters is I got like roughly around like 500,000 impressions on my Instagram filters. And if let's say that we want to, you know, do an easy math and say that like an impression is one second of viewing the filter on their phone, right? So that's 500,000 seconds, you know okay. what I mean? Which is a lot of seconds. And the same thing can be said for pretty much anyone who uploads YouTube videos and stuff like that is that like, you know, they're kind of introducing themselves into people's lives for 10 minutes, maybe 10 hours, maybe 10 days, maybe they're going to become a person that people are really going to want to get to know. And I think that that's something that the internet has enabled in a really, really uh, impactful way. And hopefully uh, after this 20, you know, 2020 is over, we get to start to see more creators leveraging that and not necessarily competing with each other. Because I think that one thing that I have been seeing that is a bit monoculturistic, I suppose, is that, um, and I, I would, I'd love to hear your opinion on this too, that creators are kind of like, trying to be the best in their genre, as opposed to all understanding that they can all create their own genre now. There's no, there is no, there's no real point in like emulating somebody else's success um, because the bar is so low. Like the emulating made more sense when you had to convince, you know, Studio A to accept you, or you had to convince, 
you know, Silicon Valley VCB to, to accept you. But my great example of this is like Poolside FM, you know what I mean? As like a website and it, you're not, are you familiar with it? Yeah. 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 It's like, as a website, it's like relatively unique, you know what I mean? There's like a bunch of like three JS going on in the background and it feels like a nineties desktop thing. And it feels more of like an experience than like a Shopify store or like something that's like a little bit more kind of traditional, I suppose, quote unquote with websites. And Poolside FM is a hit. Same thing with like things like Among Us and like you were saying. So I think that we're now entering an age where creativity will be rewarded if, or maybe enhanced by people who are willing to take risks to create something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think think that's definitely true. I would say though, I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like the way you do develop your own like creative decisions or like do stuff that's truly unique is kind of at the point where you fail, where you imperfectly imitate the person that you were inspired by. And I think that's kind of where it comes from. And even when you look at like a lot of YouTubers or even a lot of software engineers, like there's like maybe a hundred, 200 side projects that everyone starts with. Right. And then where the creative part comes is when you didn't, you didn't do it perfectly, or you made some small decision to do something differently. And then that kind of just like compounds over time. And that's kind of how you, get to that space. And I think I'm almost okay with people trying to compete to um, dominate their own subgenre because that's kind of how everyone starts in my understanding of how people do creative things, unless someone is like insanely great and just has their own unique ideas from the get-go personally. That's what I think. I agree and I disagree. I think that I agree with you because you're right that there's a, there's a lot of natural selection at play when people are just kind of creating stuff. They're trying things out They're They're trying to imitate something and then they mess up a note, but I think that, or they mess up, you know, like a, a header or they change a the color on accident or something like that. But I don't really think it's, it's that uh, random most of the time. I think people are trying to, when they're trying to recreate something, it's not like, for example, with like playing guitar as a guitar in your background, it's not like if you hit the wrong chord while you're emulating somebody, uh, like it'll be in the correct key, for example. You know what I mean? It could sound cool if it's in the correct key, but if it's in the incorrect key, you might just beat yourself up. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't necessarily mean like random error. I just mean like you make small decisions that are slightly different. And then eventually right. like you kind of develop a style that way. So like the, the comparison wouldn't be you randomly like hit like a wrong note. It would be like, oh, I just played this chord a little differently. Maybe it's because your fingers are just not big enough to play it the way Jimi Hendrix plays it or something. Right. Right. And I think that that's, that's the more important point to me is that like everybody kind of has their already unique kind of upbringing that they've been building for years and stuff like that. And I think that most people do kind of find themselves in situations where they're doing things that they're good at just because other people will reward them. You know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that they're doing. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the, the, the point that I was trying to make with, 2020 specifically is that because of the really low bar of kind of reaching a ton of people with a thing that you think is new and creative, I think it's more worth it to take a risk in not emulating and Mm -hmm. just trying something from scratch and applying your own creative and creative. I don't mean here in the sense of like, kind of just like trying something new. I mean, more representing who you've already been for the past Mm -hmm. entire of your life. You know what I mean? So kind of just like, taking all of your interests and then just collapsing them into a grouping of projects. And I did a lot of that this year where I wasn't necessarily, I would, I would go to demos and stuff like that and like try and find code blocks that kind of 
or put me in the right direction. But I always had like my own idea of the product that I was creating. You know what I mean? And it didn't come out perfect. Like nothing came out perfect this year, but it was kind of the imperfections and the journey along the way in my own personality quirks that really allowed these projects to kind of shine on their own and really kind of gave them their own kind of life and their own kind of limitations and, 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 and discoveries as well. And I think one of the things I'm excited to, to hear about with our guests on this show is to kind of hear how they have kind of maybe either, like you were saying, stumbled into a, a successful pattern by just kind of iterating on their creativity, or maybe if it is closer to kind of like the way that I see creativity, where it's just kind of like, you already are creative, just don't try hard, just channel what's already going through your head. You know what I mean? And that's going to be something that's already unique because, you know, nobody is going to be uh, at the same place and time as you with the same body temperature and same height and same, you know, viewpoints on the world. So that's kind of what I think about it. Yeah. Um, I think we had a lot of really interesting discussions with a lot of loose ends, which is perfect because luckily this is a multi-part episode. So you're going to get to hear us talk about these topics over hopefully a lot of different episodes with a lot of different people. Bram, I think for our first episode, we did okay. We did a pretty good job. I think this was awesome. I think I'm really excited to, to get people on the show and I'm really, this was a really great conversation and this is going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to, we're just going to have fun, freaking fun, man. This is going to be freaking fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Hacker Lounge.